We're beginning a new uh, conversation about uh, how we as Christians live out the love of God in a hurting world, in a in a society that is suffering. And if you are not a Christian, if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're still trying to figure out what it is you think about God, um, I'm glad you're here. You're welcome to to continue listening, but it's not my job to tell you what to do. Uh, it's that's that's between you and your own your own decision making processes, and so you you can do that. But but it is our responsibility as Christians to understand what it is that that God is doing and what role God calls us to to take uh, in bringing about the reconciliation that God desires on the earth. So that's what our conversation is about. Um, and again, you're welcome to listen in if you're not a Jesus follower. But if you are a Jesus follower, this is this is what God is calling us to do. So this is aimed at us. So today we're going to talk about the sin of racism, and um, and and it is a sin, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I need to say I'm not really qualified as a person to talk about racism. I am. Uh, I'm white in a majority white culture. I am uh, unaware. I don't think I certainly can't remember any time in my whole life when I have faced discrimination on the basis of my race. Um, it's been a long time since I had a traffic stop, but I can tell you the only thing I was anxious about in that traffic stop was whether I'd get a ticket. I had no other concerns when I when I was stopped by the police. So I am I am an Ignorant. I, I'm working from a position of ignorance on the subject of, of race um, in, in so many ways. There is so little that I know about race in our country today. So I am unqualified to speak about race as a person. But as a pastor, it's my responsibility to do so. The, the word pastor means shepherd. It means my job, my role in the, in the way our church functions is to tend the flock. To, to be a shepherd under the great shepherd who is Jesus. And so my role is to uh, help the flock, help us all understand what it is that God would have us do in response to the sin of racism. And we know that it's necessary. We've certainly all heard about George Floyd by this point, but it wasn't that much before George Floyd, we heard about Christopher Cooper and the racist threats that were made against him. He was the the bird watcher in Central Park, who was, who was, um, uh, who was the subject of racist threats made by a woman who was walking her dog in Central Park, and uh, right before that, there was the arrest of the two people in Georgia. They could only really be described as vigilantes who had killed um, uh, Amand uh, Aubrey just for for running down the street. And so uh, those are things that just happened in a single month. And, and those aren't all of it. They're just the tip of the iceberg that actually made the news. So, so we know that, that racism is a problem in our, in our society today. And the, the, the question is, what does our faith say about racism? And the answer is it says that it is a sin. And um, so, so we will talk about that. But first, we need to... We need to pause. And, and like Jesus, before we can rush on to talk about a solution or even a hope for a solution, we need to be like Jesus and weep. Scripture tells us that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the first thing he did, before he did that, 
he stood and he wept with all the other mourners. Jesus expressed his his belonging to that group of people who are mourning their friend Lazarus. And so we weep too. Uh, Paul says in the, the, the letter to the Romans, he says that we are as Christians to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So we take a moment before we do anything else and we just weep, not because we can fix anything, uh, not because um, we have the solution, uh, but because it's what we do when people are hurting. If you've ever sat by the hospital bed of somebody, you go there not because you're the doctor and you can, you can fix what's wrong. You go there so they don't have to be alone. And so we pause. We, we take some time up front just to, to weep with those who are hurting. Christians weep with those who hurt. But really, that's where the healing has to begin. Because as Christians, we don't believe that it's those people who are suffering. Paul says in the letter to the Corinthians, he says, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets glory, all the parts celebrate with it. He says, you, we are the body of Christ and parts of each other. So it's not a question of them suffering and us not. It's a question of whether or not we feel the suffering they feel because we are part of the same body. So Christians weep with people who hurt. And we should all hurt. But we, but we do not stay there. Jesus didn't only, pray, only weep. Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. And we believe that God is calling this nation out and away from the sin of racism. And so we speak about racism because we believe God has something to contribute to the conversation. If post-Christian enlightenment humanism has failed to bring about utopia, then Christianity should be one of the options on the table for a society that's grasping for solutions. It should be uh, there alongside of eugenics and social Darwinism on the one hand and critical theory on the other hand. It would be great if Christianity had something to contribute and we did so. So we would like to, to be part of the conversation about solutions. Not from a position of arrogance. Uh, we, we all know we have 2,000 years of history showing us what happens when the church is arrogant. But from humility, and there's a great model in scripture. Paul calls us as, as, uh, Christians, he says this, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against him. And he has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors who represent Christ. Christians are not called to, to tell other people what to do, but to be diplomatic, to, to represent Christ and say on his behalf what he would say into a particular circumstance. So we bring the, the, the word from God about reconciliation, um, as an alternative to, for, for society to choose from among all the others. We don't want to be a political church. 
um, but rather we want to be an alternative to people who see every problem only through the lens of politics. We want to offer the grace of God to the extent we can uh, with, with humility as ambassadors of Christ. So Christians are Christ's diplomatic core. So that's why we're going to talk about race today. Racism, excuse me. That's why we're going to talk about racism. And uh, when I say racism, I mean a particular kind of sin, because racism is a sin. Racism, the, the, the sin of racism is the lie that I bear the image of God more than someone else, that, that I am a better image bearer of God than somebody else. And it, it is a lie. It's not just a lie. It is a diabolical lie. It is a lie from the pits of hell. And it would have us back in hell to whatever extent it can. So racism is a lie, and it's a lie about the image of God. And the best way for me to illustrate that is to show that Scripture says the opposite. The Word of God from one end to the other, literally from the beginning to the end, says the very opposite. So I'm going to just make a quick scan of the the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament to illustrate how opposed the Word of God is to uh, the sin of racism. So so uh, we begin in Genesis 1. Uh, we read that God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. So uh, it repeats it. It's, it's like it slows down and says, I'm not sure you got that. Let me say that again. Uh, God created people in God's own image. And then, in case you missed it, in the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. So in the diversity, the most obvious type of diversity that we see, male and female, that that diversity does not change the image of God being part of them. That diversity is not something that that uh, it represents a degree of the image of God. It is it is a reflection of the infinite variety of God. That that no created thing can can do more than reflect a tiny fraction of God's variety. So the diversity of God is reflected in uh, the variety within God is is reflected in our own diversity. So uh, we continue on in the in the um, in, later in the book of Genesis, uh, God speaks to Abraham and He says, "I will bless those who bless you; those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you." God says, "I am taking one group of people, but I'm not elevating them and saying that they are somehow better than all the others." God is saying, "You are a tool that I will use to bless everyone because everyone." bears my image. When we move on to the New Testament, Jesus is having a conversation with a religious expert, and the religious expert says, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, well, you tell me. And so um, he says, he says, um, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said, who is my neighbor? You know, are, are there people that I don't have to love because they do not bear the image of God to the degree that I do? 
And then Jesus illustrates uh, the, the ridiculousness of that with his most famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the outsider, the parable of the despised other, the person who is unimaginable. And Jesus, in a few verses, paints a picture where the legal expert is forced to concede that that man, that outsider, that, that person so unlike him is his neighbor. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Be that kind of neighbor to the people around you. Jesus says, the person we can least imagine being our neighbor, that person bears the image of God. After Jesus ascends to heaven, the early church wrestles with the same question. Did Jesus really mean that? And one after another, we see them coming to the conclusion Jesus did in fact mean that. Peter says uh, in the house of a, of a Roman officer, he says, I really am learning. God is demonstrating to me that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Another leader in the early church, James, who was who was the... the uh, little brother of Jesus, he says, when you show favoritism, you are committing a sin, and by that same law, you are exposed as a lawbreaker. So the the, the leaders within the early church uh, all come to the same conclusion that Jesus was sincere when he said that even the most unlikely person bore the image of God. They were loved by God as they were. And at the very end of the Bible, at the very end of the New Testament, we see um, in, in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John has a vision, and he says this. He says, After this I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and had palm branches in their hands. This vision of the the culmination of history, the, the, the conclusion of the saving work of Jesus is expressed not by a lucky few people who have, who have been saved, but a multitude no one can count, and they come from every corner of the planet. So racism is a sin. But what, 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 what can we say about the sin of racism? Well, there's two uh, people who, who talk about racism generally divided into two kinds of, of things. They first talk about individual racist actions, um, and then they talk about uh, a deeper, more insidious type of racism that, that sometimes is called structural racism or institutional racism. Individual race, racism, uh, individual racist actions are easy enough to understand. Uh, there was an experiment. Somebody sent a bunch of resumes to companies and uh, they were identical resumes, but the only thing that was changed was the name. And they found that people, the, the resumes with names like Brad and Emily got calls. And the resumes with names like Jamal and Lakeisha didn't get calls. That would be an example of an individual racist action. Somebody who's in a position to hire looks at the two resumes. They are, he doesn't look at both, but... Uh, they, they're in a position, and so averaged over the, the number of resumes they sent out, they found that people tended not to call Jamal. They tended not to call Lakeisha. So those would be examples of individual racist actions. But 
there is this other type of racism, and different people uh, see it differently. Some people say that this this structural racism, this institutional racism, is the sum of the parts. That that the 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 when you when you add up all the individual racist actions in the world or in a society, in in a particular set of circumstances, you get something that is actually worse than the sum of the parts. That there's something there's some something about that that makes it worse. But there is a different view which says that actually there is something behind all of the individual racist actions. That there is uh, this uh, racist. Uh, structure or this racist institution that is behind all of the individual racist actions, whether people are consciously aware of it or not. And so some people identify this with, with capitalism or with scientific determinism or, or whatever ism they, they identify it with. They say that, they say that there is some ism, there is some thing that is, that is racism with a capital R. It is the thing that is behind all of those individual racist actions. And Christianity tends to uh, uh, align with the second group. We believe there is something behind the individual racist actions. If we say, I don't know what got into me, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself, I shouldn't have done that, what was that? We would tend to say there is something behind that individual racist action. That it is not simply the sum of all of those individual actions, it is actually something that is behind it and is prompting them. And what we say is that racism is a sin. It, it, racism is sin. That the individual racist actions are sins with a lowercase s. But racism, that thing behind all the other racism, is a bigger problem than capitalism. It's a bigger problem than uh, uh, lead in the environment. It's a bigger problem than anything exterior. We believe it is sin itself, that capital R racism is capital S sin. And it is, it is behind all of the individual racist actions. We would say, we would say, if somebody says, is this, is this a question of, of people not being, um, uh, able to, to receive a good education? Is it because they, they have, uh, um, uh, a polluted environment? Is it because of the effects of of uh, all the individual actions on them, we would say, yes, but more so. We would say, all of those things are part of the problem, but the problem goes deeper. It is a bigger problem. That is a bigger problem than so many people appreciate. Racism is is as deep as sin. And because of that, Christians say racism is a heart problem. It's not something outside. We can fix the things outside, and we should. We should be busy at work fixing all the manifestations of racism in the world. But we can fix them all, and all we've done is close off the avenues in which racism operates. We've closed off a few, a few, we, we, we patched a few cracks, but the racism is still there as long as our hearts are bent toward racism. Racism will emerge again. So Christians believe that racism, as sin, is a heart problem. The uh, prophet Jeremiah said, the heart 
is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can even understand it? And the Apostle Paul said, there is no righteous person, not even one. That no one is in a position to say, I'm not racist, I'm not a sinner. Paul says, you just don't know. No one can understand their own heart. So, do we despair? We do not despair. We do not despair because God has provided a solution. And the solution to racism is a new heart. Speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, God promised us new hearts. He said this, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your stony heart from your body and replace it with a living one. God has promised that we would have new hearts, that we would not always and only be subject to sin, subject to racism. God promised that he would fix what we can never fix. And the Apostle Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, he says this, Now thanks to Christ Jesus, you who were once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred between us. Paul says that this is no longer a promise to be realized in the future. It is something that Christ has already done. That that God has already given Christians new hearts. So, that raises the question, where is the church in this? Why aren't people looking at us and saying, saying, those people aren't racist. Those people don't participate in racist structures. Well, Paul answered that too. Just a few verses before he said what Christ has done, he said this, we, us, us Christians, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way we live our lives. God has given us the responsibility to do exactly what the world hasn't seen from us or hasn't seen enough, which is to live in a way that demonstrates there is an escape from racism, that demonstrates that Christ has in fact broken down the barrier of hostility between us, that that proves to a desperate world that there is an alternative, that, that, that even structural racism can be defeated by the power of God. But when we try, when we start down that path, the, the uh, biblical language that says the way we live our lives, that means it, the, the, the metaphor that Paul used, he said, he said the way we walk. And so when we start down that path, when we say, I am a new creature, I have a new heart, I am not condemned always to be a racist, to always be a sinner. We will face the same temptations that we always have. We will face the same temptations that Jesus did. The tempter came to him, Matthew tells us, and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to turn to bread. That we will always face the question, are you sure God wasn't lying? Are you sure that you're a new creature? Are you sure that you have it in you not to be racist? You know, God was probably telling you a whopper. God was probably lying. 
God is probably putting a happy face on and saying, they're still racist, but I'm going to try and fool them. That's what the tempter will tell you. But God says, speaking in his word, he says, Christ is our peace. He has broken down the barrier of hatred that divided us. So, what should we do then? Well, I'm not going to offer you any policy proposals. I told you that, that I'm not an expert. I, I can't, you know, as, as a person, I know almost nothing about what it means to be a person of color in our society. I, I'm not going to tell you uh, that you should vote for this candidate or you should implement this program. Um, I have opinions, and, and I'm sure you do too. But what I would recommend is talk to somebody else. Uh, talk to somebody who doesn't look like you and say, hey, this is an awkward question, but can you just tell me, I really want to understand what it is like to be you. I, I, I'd like to understand, to whatever extent I can, I'd like to understand what you would like this society to do differently. How how would you like to see this society changed? So I would say, start by asking for expert opinion. And by expert, I don't mean they've got a long set of initials after their name. I mean somebody who has actually walked down that path. So I'd start there. And I want to I want to go a little further. I said I'm not going to give you any policies. But again, as a pastor, I can tell you some things that God calls us to do. And the first thing is to repent. Repent is a is a church word. We don't say it anywhere else but church, but what it means is to change your mind. It means to say that as a human being, as someone with a heart, I have it in me, the capacity to be racist. And maybe I can't point at a particular uh, a racist action that I've taken. But to repent of the idea that somehow I'm therefore immune from this sin. So the, the first thing we do is we repent. And one of the ways we know we repented is that repentance is, is acknowledging our sinfulness. And so it rules out any defensiveness. If you find yourself going, but not me, if we start, if we start acting defensive, it's because we haven't fully repented. And I want to give um, some examples of the way that, that I think we tend to be defensive. One of, the, one of the ways we do is we say that we're colorblind. And uh, that is maybe better than being overtly racist. But it's not enough because, because God made the variety we see in different people. That God made all the different skin colors and facial features and... and uh, Hair, hair types, God made everything that makes us different. God made that. And God doesn't make mistakes. That all of our, all of our human diversity is a reflection of the variety that is part of God Himself. And so there is, there is not any way we can simply say, I'm, I ignore all the ways that God made you different. And that's a good thing. That we should actually say, I, want to value, that I want to see God better by looking at you differently. And so colorblind is not is not the good thing some people think it is, and, and it's certainly not something that we should we should retreat to a defensive position and try and uphold. Another one is the phrase black life matters. 
And I'm talking about the language here. Like I said, I'm not going to talk about policy positions and the, the, the actual organization called Black Lives Matter. Uh, you'll have to make up your own mind about that. Uh, it's not in the Bible. So I'm going to talk to you about what is. And remember, we are trying to weep with those who weep. When my son was about four years old, maybe three and a half, four years old, I was talking to him one day and he said, um, actually, and then he corrected the thing that I had said. And I thought to myself, I know where he learned that phrase. And he's been correcting me ever since. And in a four-year-old, it's tolerable. But in anybody else, it's kind of a jerk move. If you go to the hospital and the person says, man, I'm hurting, you don't say, hey, the guy in the room next to you is hurting too. And down the hall, you know, that one with the cancer, they're hurting too. That is a jerk move. It's true. All lives do matter. But when you're in the hospital room, when you're talking to somebody who's hurting, it is a jerk move to insist that no, everybody's hurting. What's so special about you? It's just a jerk move. So don't do that. And lastly, and maybe this is one that a lot of um, white people like myself trip on, is the idea of white privilege. And the, the best way I can understand white privilege is this, that I have overcome a lot of challenges in my life. And, and there are a lot of uh, uh, challenges I still need to overcome. That I got to where I am by hard work and sometimes by the grace of God. But what I never had to worry about, what I never experienced was my skin color, my race, as an obstacle to what I was trying to achieve. That was never a problem that I had to deal with. Uh, and maybe in certain occupations, in certain certain uh, uh, skill sets, maybe there are places where there is something other than white privilege. But I think most of us in, in this society can say that the one thing we didn't have to worry about, uh, out of all the other things we did... The one thing we didn't have to worry about was, is somebody going to judge me for my privilege? So I would say repentance rules out defensiveness. That if we're, if we're sticking on these words, if we're going, um, actually, then to say, have I fully repented? Do I, do I really believe that I have the same capacity to be racist that somebody else does? And so until we have uh, eliminated our own defensiveness, then we cannot truly say we have repented. Once we have repented, then the thing to do is to pray. Now, I'm a church person. Uh, I told you I wasn't going to give you policy positions, but you know who can? God can. God can speak to your heart and say, here's what you need to do. Here's the thing you need to do. You need to vote for that candidate. You need to vote against that candidate. You need to, you need to contribute money. You need to contribute time. You need to t- call up your senator. You need to do these things. God can do that. And the way you're going to find out what God has for you is to pray, to come before God humbly and say, God, here's the way I've always seen things. Help me to see them the way you do. Show me, God, what I should do. That's prayer. God will help you if you ask. And lastly, and this is the part that's going to be the most awkward, is pursue friendships across boundaries. This is what Jesus did. Jesus had some of the most ridiculous friendships. 
Jesus had a tax collector, a collaborator with the occupying imperial government. He had a tax collector in his inner group. He also had a domestic terrorist, somebody who it's amazing that they could see each other without trying to kill each other. He had those two people in his inner circle. Not only that, Jesus had women in his inner circle. It's the most amazing thing. Jesus pursued friendships across every social boundary. And he calls us to do so too. And if you're not good at that, if you don't have friendships that are that, that span boundaries, it's going to be very awkward. But you know what? Baby steps always are awkward. So do it not because you're good at it. Do it because that's how you learn to walk. And maybe someday you will even learn to run. Racism is a sin. And the solution for sin is a new heart. And scripture teaches that what Jesus did is he fulfilled God's promise to give us new hearts. It's up to us to walk, maybe even with baby steps, as if we had those new hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know if the people listening to me, but I know I can't point to anything and say, I have been racist. I have, I have used racial slurs. I have, I've held people back. I've held people down. Lord, I ask you first and foremost to convict us of our sin. Help us to see the ways we need new hearts and help us to trust that you have given us new hearts. Lord, we ask you then to help us to see people the way you do and to pursue the friendships across boundaries that Jesus did. We pray it all in the name of the one who is our peace, Jesus the Christ. Amen.